It's to transcend your current state of awareness and to move to a place of being, which essentially is you without your thoughts. Hello and welcome to episode number 13 of the Being Men podcast. Today, I am joined here with my esteemed co-host, Ro, and boy, do we have a treat for you. Our guest today is Alex Powlett. Now, Alex is an acupuncturist, martial artist, and Vedic meditation teacher. We talked to him about the benefits of meditation, how martial arts has changed his life, and much, much more. But before that, let's jump into our check-ins. Ro, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so just to update everyone, um, as you know, you know, I'm in the process of buying a house. I finally did. I've got a house now, and we move in about four weeks, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, the experience of signing that loan papers uh, was was quite interesting. It was a bit of excitement, and then I also felt like uh, there goes my life away. So um, I need to work on that attitude, uh, maybe change that a little bit. But apart from that, super excited. Um, how are you doing, Mitch? What's happening with you? Pretty good. I've been a bit sick the last week or so, so haven't really been doing too much. Elio, my son, has been did his first day at daycare last week, and I think he might have picked up something while he was there and kind of brought it home. So we've all been a bit sniffly and and fluey, but other than that, just been uh, basking in the glory of my ABC documentary. Feature. Oh, that was awesome! Um, by the way, so inspiring. I'm so ready to be a dad just after watching that documentary. So that's that's awesome. But that's been really cool. I mean, I spoke to the the producer and they said they've had a really good response from it. So it's it's pretty awesome. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Good to have you here, mate. Um, what have you been up to? I guess over the past week, I've been uh, working at the clinic where I work as an acupuncturist and a twinar therapist. And I guess a little explanation on twinar. Uh, it's a Chinese medicine physical therapy, which... Uh, in China, we are kind of like the first people that someone that's been in any sort of physical trauma will come to see. We work mainly with our hands, but we use you know a variety of diagnostic equipment like X-rays, MRIs, and all that sort of thing. And then from there, if we if we can, without sending them on to you know any sort of surgery or other treatment, we adjust the the nerves, the bones, and the musculature that is, you know, either traumatized or out of place to help it settle back in, and then to help the body's own system um, take on that healing process itself. And so that generally happens before, you know, any sort of needles go in with acupuncture, before, you know, we send them off to a surgical department or anything like that. So we're known as, um, as hand doctors in China. <clears throat> but here in Australia, it's more like people will come in and, and be like, oh, you know, I'm just really sore here and I think I need a massage. It's just a lot more involved than, you know, slapping some oil on and giving them a rub. But yeah, very, very effective and a really good, I guess, asset for me as an acupuncturist as well because, you know, like needles can fix a lot of things, but sometimes someone just needs, you know, their shoulder readjusted or something like that. So I've been working in the clinic a lot this week, as well as teaching a couple of new meditation students, Vedic meditation. And I've also been helping a friend out um, with teaching him some self-defense before he 
goes over to Europe because a couple of years ago he was a victim of a home invasion and he was home at the time. And so he was held up and, you know, like attacked with a crowbar and all sorts of things. So just to sort of help him on his way before he heads into new and unknown waters. So that's been my week. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like you're, you're a pretty inspiring kind of guy. I'm, I'm super pumped to dig into a lot of things and there's heaps of points I want to touch on just from that introduction alone. But let's, let's start with the Vedic meditation. Could you give us a rundown of what Vedic meditation actually is and why you chose it over other meditation disciplines? Definitely. Well, I've been meditating for years uh, with many different meditation techniques, mostly with uh, breath and concentration techniques which I came to through martial arts. And, like, I'd always found it quite hard, um, quite hard to sit still, close my eyes. And with the techniques I'd learned at the time, I had to sit completely still, um, mm. completely, you know, back straight, no leaning against anything and all that sort of thing. So my hips would always, like, which have always been kind of a problem for me like since I started martial arts all the way through until until actually I started Olympic weightlifting but so like my hips were flaring up a lot just by sitting there trying to meditate and I was like aren't I supposed to be getting more relaxed here and like when am I ever going to hit that zen place that you know some people talk about and when will my mind stop you know going back to these things and oh that thought was really confronting so I'd been doing that for, you know, on and off for a few years, just whenever I was like, oh, I guess I should sit down and meditate because that's good for you. But what really sort of got me into Vedic meditation to start with was, it was actually through a friend of mine. And she, for a long time, had been really, really affected by, like, I guess, undiagnosed depression and anxiety in such a way mm-hmm. that you know she found it hard to do many many things like leave the house or like like you know she even found it hard working where she was all that sort of thing um and yeah like seeing that and feeling really helpless as well because like you know both she felt helpless and I felt helpless that I couldn't help her and so she ended up moving from Melbourne back home to her Um, parents place in the country and after a while she like it would have been like a few months she gave me a call and she was just like I'm you know feeling a bit better I'm going to move back to Melbourne And, and, and I was like oh so like what sparked this and she went on to tell me that she'd started to use a meditation app um online called One Giant Mind and she said that that it helped her a bit but she wanted to take it further and she was like like, how can I take it further? Because I want to keep down this road of recovery and I want to keep on feeling better, but I don't want to do it by taking any sort of drug or substance mm-hmm. because, you know, so many of her friends have tried that and it's actually made their conditions a bit worse in some cases, which, you know, like like sucks. But yeah, so she moved back to Melbourne and then she found a teacher of Vedic meditation here named Laura Paul. And from there, like, she went and learnt and it was like an overnight transformation. Like, she'd sort of had this steady slope of, you know, sort of slow but steady recovery and feeling better and better and better. 
And then all of a sudden one day she was out and about and she was just wasn't worried anymore. And mm. it's not to say that she was completely, you know, like inverted commas cured or whatever, but she was happy in herself. She was more resilient when things did come up. It was just such a change from what she was and what she had been experiencing. And we were talking like like all throughout this and I was like like at this point I still didn't know that she had learnt Vedic meditation. And I said, you know, what the hell happened? How did you how did you turn all this around so quickly and, and so easily? And she invited me over, so I went over, we had a chat she told me what she'd been doing and then how she, it turned out that the voice on the One Giant Mind app that she'd been listening to was actually turned out to be this lady, Laura Poole. And so there's a bit of a quinky dink there. Wow. And, um, and she was like, yeah, it was like, I was just looking, you know, looking at like up meditation teachers on the internet, you know, in Melbourne. And then, you know, I saw this lady, Laura Poole and it kind of like just, I didn't know why, but it, you know, it looked really familiar, and it turned out it'd been the lady, the lady's voice I'd been listening to every single day doing this meditation, and and I was just like, you know, I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty amazing, and blew me away a bit. But then we sat down and we listened to another podcast um, by a Vedic meditation teacher who lived in Sydney for many years, and now I think he lives in Flagstaff, Arizona. And his name is Tom Knowles. And we listened to this podcast and it was called, I think, Life Without Fear. Um, Or or that particular episode was anyway. And I sat there and like my jaw was just on the floor throughout the whole thing. I was like, how can someone be this calm and collected and intelligent and be saying exactly what it is that I needed to hear in this moment and it's a podcast I'm not even talking to the guy and uh, and I just started laughing and I was like this is amazing and Julia was like yeah and then she was like you should totally learn this technique I think it'd be really good for you and like I said yeah I think I will so I went to an information night um, that Laura ran which yeah so like a, it was a free intro talk and then like again blew me away further just her presence and her calmness and just her willingness to be there fully throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing like like it, even though there were maybe you know 15 or 20 people there every single person felt like they were there by themselves having a nice warm conversation with Laura it was fantastic mm-hmm. And then from there, like I said, yeah, this is great, but I'm just about to go overseas, Like, but I'll come see you when I get back. So I went to, to China for, I think it was about a month, um, to train with my teachers over there, my martial arts teachers, and to do a bit more study at the, the Chinese Medicine Hospital. And while I was there, I read actually a book that was given to me by, by my friend, by my friend that had told me about Vedic meditation and it was called Autobiography of a Yogi and that was, and that's by I think Paramahansa Yogananda and I read that while I was in China and I had sort of four or five hours in the afternoon of each day where like just there was nothing much happening I would go to the gym with, with my teacher and then um, and then we would have this time so I just read the book 
And I highly suggest that anyone that has any sort of um, spiritual aspiration or is looking towards some kind of growth in that area, read this, because it has quite a few insights into the yogic traditions of India. And I'm not just talking about, you know, going to a studio and moving through some downward dogs. It's, it goes through the, some of the framework of his particular tradition. And he talks a lot about his own masters, his own teachers throughout his time there. And once I finished the book, you know, I was feeling all inspired and, and fantastic. And I was like, well, I'm practicing martial arts every day. I'm studying Chinese medicine every day. And he has this, just a short, I think it was a breath-based meditation at the end. I'm like, well, you know, I've got hours every day. I'm going to do this for at least an hour, like, you know, at the end of every day before I head back home. So I did the meditation in the book and, you know, sort of started to slow my mind down a bit. But, you know, then my hips would start to get sore and my back would get sore and I'd be like, okay, it's time to get up and move around again. Anyway, coming back from China... I just felt the need to go and learn that technique, the Vedic meditation technique from Laura, like almost straight away. So I booked in, I went and learnt, and that first day I felt a clarity of thought and of mind um, that I hadn't previously experienced. I've always been that, you know, like that guy at school that, couldn't quite get the full gist of, of that particular, you know, mathematical equation, got distracted really easily, would prefer to be outside or, you know, moving around or doing something like that. But learning this technique, which was so effortless and easy and restorative, because I, like, I felt like I'd had about three days of sleep within, I think... Yeah, that first meditation was 20 minutes. And afterwards, I just felt so energized and so clear. And I remember walking outside and I had this big, dopey grin on my face. And I was walking around this, like, I think, yeah, it was in Elwood. So I was walking home from Elwood and smiling up, like, you know, smiling like, like nothing else and noticing details of everything around me that I hadn't before. And then I stopped because I noticed that I actually, I wasn't thinking about anything. And that was the first thought I'd had since I'd left Laura's meditation studio. And I was looking around and no thoughts were popping up, nothing of, you know, what had happened during the morning, nothing of what had happened throughout the past week nothing of you know what I maybe should do for the rest of the day and I was just like like I could clearly feel this because it was so foreign to me and yeah moving from there like it's a it's a four-day course um, that you initially participate in to learn how to um, become fully self-sufficient in the technique and so every single day it just felt like I was learning so much from this wise, wise woman and sitting in such a place of deep peace that I could actually absorb everything she was saying. I wasn't distracted, which would normally be me. I wasn't 
you know, getting tired or sore. It was actually the opposite. I felt more and more relaxed each day. I felt like my back was straightening even, even though sometimes during my meditation, it felt like, you know, my head was touching my ankles because I was in such deep states of relaxation that my body was just starting to fold over itself. But there was no uncomfortableness there. It was, um, it was just so easy. Yeah, thinking back on that, I'm just like, I'm, I'm still so like surprised and delighted that I got to experience such a thing. And this is something that's really striking me about just listening to you talk about this is the actual ease of it. Cause I've always thought of meditation as being something that you have to kind of struggle through for the first, yes. you know, for the first 50 or 60 years of your life. And then you can kind of get to the, the point where you just sit down and you're like all peaceful and there's no thoughts in your brain. Absolutely. And, and like that would be, well, sorry, Ro, what was that? No, I was just saying that it's interesting cause I've, haven't closed my eyes consciously for more than 30 Mm. seconds since a kid Mm. and growing up in India, you're Mm. forced to meditate every single morning in school, but it just, I can't do it because normally my mind has these crazy racing thoughts and my goal is to be thoughtless. But when I close my eyes, I feel like it just amplifies it. Like the, the voices get louder and it's just crazier that I just panic and open my eyes again. I can't, I feel like I'm not capable of meditating, but hearing you say that, just the the deep state of relaxation, I think that's that's the shift that I'm I'm sort of craving. I feel, if if that makes sense, you know, I I don't want to definitely I don't want to me- meditate to have clarity. I just don't want to have anything in my head, <laughs> if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and just hearing you definitely. speak, I'm I'm so. I was so quiet the whole time because I was just so captivated with what you're saying because it hits me so hard. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people from your experience around you in the city as well would be feeling that and you'd pick that vibe up. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's Vedic meditation in particular. It's it's known as an effortless transcending technique. Transcending means to go beyond and... In our, like, I guess in, in what I teach and in what Laura taught me, it's to transcend your current state of awareness and to move to a place of being, which essentially is you without your thoughts. And yeah. by reaching this place, you then experience a state of such deep rest that your body and your mind work together and start to dissolve accumulated stress from the time you started to accumulate stress, which would have been birth or possibly before that, depending on, you know, what activities your, your, um, your mother and your father and that sort of were part of, like, you know, whether there was a car accident, if you were still in your mother's stomach or you know anything from there onwards so if you think about it dissolving this accumulated stress um, will actually allow your your body to reach greater states of, of relaxation yes but also of regeneration if you think of it like your body and your mind work together to suppress stress because in this day and time, we 
are bringing in so much of it that we can't quite deal with it all and process it all as we go on. Your body itself, it's like a a digestive system and a digestive system for experience. We ingest this experience, whatever it may be, whether it's like, oh, you know, this was such a, you know, a beautiful, fantastic time with this person or, you know, sitting in the office at work getting blasted by your boss, either or. In each of these situations, you're going to be um, taking some good things from this situation, but there's always going to be some waste product. But at the moment, there's so much waste product coming in from you know, different aspects of life, whether it's worry about bills or about, you know, possibly paying a new mortgage or something like that. And as these things build up, your body can't deal with all of them at once because if for some reason it, I guess, let down all barriers and try to deal with all of your accumulated stress plus the stress that's coming in at the moment, you would very possibly experience a yeah a nervous breakdown or some other catastrophic event in the body you know for a lot of people it's a cardiac arrest or a stroke or something similar but it's just yeah this particular technique helps you to dissolve this stress at an increased but at a fluid rate it helps to Receive that deep rest that you may not necessarily be getting from sleep because you're not necessarily reaching deep states of sleep. Like you probably either yourself or friends of yours have hit that point where like like they say, I just, I can't sleep very well at the moment. You know, I've got all this stuff on my mind or I'm constantly waking up in the night. It just means that the stage of sleep that they're getting to is, isn't deep enough to uh, keep them in sleep. And so their body... And their mind aren't getting what they need from this state. And that it's that deep state of sleep, whether it's REM and deep sleep itself, that actually allow you to process stress, which means mm. we're getting more of a build-up throughout the day. So yeah, in comes this effortless technique, which uses a mantra. And for those of you that don't know what a mantra is, mantra comes from two Sanskrit words, uh, manas, which is mind, and tra, which means uh, like vehicle or mode of locomotion. So it's a mind vehicle. And what happens is that through the use of this mantra with the technique taught in Vedic meditation, your awareness or your mind hops on board the mantra and follows it down through the layers of your own awareness until you hit this layer of being, this place of no thought and of deep rest, And what happens when you experience that deep, deep rest, which is about, what is it, I think two to five times deeper than what you get while you sleep, it dissolves a stress and the stress bubbles up through your mind as thought or as a little flavor of what that thought was or what that stress was. And then the energy that your body and your mind were putting towards that particular stress to keep it in place, to keep it from affecting you, um, is then returned back to, I guess, uh, the main main energy resource in the body. And then your body goes, oh, great, like I've got all this extra energy. How about we send this to the digestive system 
we allow you know the stomach and the spleen and the intestines to have this extra like whatever you want to call it wattage or extra energy to actually do what they need to more efficiently we can expel more physical waste we can absorb more nutrients oh look at that there goes you know say you know stomach upset or indigestion or irritable bowel but all of those symptoms of that will lessen and over time as you dissolve more stress your body has more energy to send to more to the other systems of the body you are also going to start to heal a little bit faster your skin is going to look more vibrant because the circulation of the body is working better um, maybe inflammation you've had in joints or in in organs or whatever it was um, because of this physical or mental stress that's been accumulated is now being taken care of in a way that is natural, in a way that is also uh, expansive for your consciousness itself and for and working in a positive way to sharpen your intellect increase you know the capacity of your mind and your memory it's it's something that like once i learned it and i continued with it i i went from being very disorganized uh always late to things and yeah like, like actually i remember on that that first day that i learned to meditate i was sitting down with a friend later that day and telling him about it and i said i don't think I'm going to be late to a thing again. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, before, you know, I would just organize a thousand things in one day and I would just try to get to them all. Whereas now I know exactly, like I can work out exactly how much time I need for each thing, but I don't need to write it down. I don't even feel like I need the calendar on my phone, um, even though I do use these things because I like to have a backup now. But it allowed me to clear all of those excess thoughts, all the other, you know, thousand, hundred thousand thoughts that I had going through my head. So I had this one stream of thought that was then easy to manage and I could slow it down as I needed to. And I had the space to do so in my own head. And it helped me just to, like, you know, this is one aspect as well. It helped me completely organize myself. And going from there, it... it everything just felt so easy to do. Like whether it was, you know, turning up to, you know, a friend's house on time instead of, you know, three hours later than I thought or not at all because I was like, oh, hang on. I've actually got five other things I've got to do before then and I only have half an hour to do them all in. Yeah, it, it helped me streamline my life and what I was doing there. And yeah, it's the reason it is effortless as well is that, once you start the mantra with the technique that you learn, your mind recognizes familiarity as in it goes, oh, like I actually know that place of no thought because I'm there sometimes, but it's not very often. And so it starts to follow that same track down and down and down through layers of awareness. Bang, nothing is happening. Little explosion of new energy because of that dissolution of stress and then it just keeps repeating and every time that happens uh, every time you use the technique it becomes easier and easier and easier and all of a sudden all you have to do is sit down and close your eyes and it automatically starts sure. you do nothing um, it's 
the most effortless technique that I've ever tried. And like I said, I've tried a few. I've tried lots of mindfulness techniques, breath techniques. I gave um, Vipassana a go, but like, you know, I never went to a Vipassana retreat. Um, I read a bit about it on the internet and heard about it from some friends and I thought I'd try. And it's And I found it hard. But yeah, this thing is just something that I honestly think anyone could do. Like I've taught, you know, young men with ADD and they find it extremely helpful. I've taught stressed out uh, corporate workers um, who work, you know, hours and hours more than we would even think of every week. And then I've, you know, taught people who like are quite similar to us, like are athletes or or people just just trying to get by in any other way they can. And every single person has picked it up easily and effortlessly and gotten so much benefit out of it that they all feel fantastic. Like, And it's a great thing to, you know, to feel that way. What I find super refreshing about just hearing you talk about it, it's the first time I've really had the chance to understand what Vedic meditation is. It's, mm. it's super refreshing how practical it, it sounds. I've been kind of told how to meditate a few times from a few different people and it's always been like, okay, you're going to sit down and, and you're going to clear your mind. It's like, mm. well, how do I actually do that? You know, it's it's not an easy thing to do, obviously, as you both know. Um, but to have that clear cut, do this first, then you do this, then you do this, and then it gets easier every time is a really valuable thing, I think, to have. I think following Definitely. on from what you Definitely. both are saying as well, I'd – I'm curious to understand from you, Alex, is for someone like me who I feel like there's a huge blocker in my head around this whole meditation and I feel incapable of doing it, what would you say would mm-hmm. be the first step someone like me would have to take to, to go on this journey? I, I, I resonate with the word that you said, dissolving stress, because I feel like as a society we are also focused on beating stress or getting rid of stress but I, I love that word you use dissolving stress because that's that's the big part right you can't just take the stress and throw it away it doesn't just disappear so what's the first step someone like me would have to take i would say the first step would be go and meet a vedic meditation teacher in your area talk to them go and learn the technique and go from there it's 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 one of those things that's it's kind of a no-brainer, but at the same time, we all know like that there's a lot of you know meditation teachers out there at the moment, which is fantastic. But this particular technique was created and handed down through householders. So originally in India, so because that's where the Vedic culture was, and and a lot of it still survives. But yeah, this particular technique was handed down not through the monastic traditions. Um, so, like, not through the the ascetics that would give up all possessions, all wealth, everything to, you know, either travel nomadically or to live in a monastery. This is a meditation tradition that was passed down to people like us, but just obviously further back in history, who owned houses, who ran businesses, and who needed something to help them uh you know you know cope with the rigors of life on earth it's it's always been that way um even though there are people in the monastic traditions that practice it also because they are actually the keepers of of this technique for whenever it gets forgotten by other householders 
they step back in and they start to pass it back down. Mm. It's it's what they were designed to do. It's interesting you, you bring up that point because I was listening to a podcast. I think you listened to it as well, Ro, um, the Jay Shetty podcast, and he mentioned that it's easy to be peaceful when you're up in the hills, up in a monastery, and like surrounded by people that are peaceful as well. But you know, you try and be peaceful when you're back stuck in LA traffic and you've got people yelling at you and, and flipping you off and stuff. That's where the real practice is. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, 100%. 100%. Definitely. And that's the, that's the big thing, right? Like when you can go to an, uh, a meditation center and lock yourself away for an hour, you'll feel awesome. But as soon as you leave out the door, how do you then keep that practice going in your everyday life? Because the the practical practical side of things you know we're all working and we got to do the things we we're responsible for doing and um, keep ourselves accountable for, but at the same time it's important to just chill you know, and that's what I'm hearing from Alex. I'm so chill just listening to you, Alex. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Let's pivot a little bit and I want to dig into your martial arts a little bit because you know this is, martial arts is a thing that we've all got in common. I'm not sure if you know, Alex, but Ro and I kind of grew up together doing karate. And I know this is something that we've always kind of um, had a connection over. So I want to know kind of how, how you think practicing martial arts has affected your life in a positive way. Mm. Well, for me, originally I, I started martial arts because my best friend at the time, so this is in primary school, he practiced karate and I you know, went to mum and dad and I was like, you know, I want to go do, I want to go do karate with Jimmy. This will be fantastic. I want to, you know, I just want to go, you know, basically hang out with my mate. So what they did was they enrolled me in a Kung Fu school and, um, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, Jimmy's not here, but like, so, but I just went anyway because, you know, I was really young and I was like, oh, mum and dad are sending me to this thing, whatever. But it was a school that my, my cousin was training at as well. And he was, I think just a year older than me. Um, and I started there and it was really, it was interesting. It was different. And yeah, like, I guess I found it really mysterious. And that's, that's kind of what kept me in martial arts for a long time, because I've always been one to, I guess, daydream and live in a bit of my own fantasy. And for me, martial arts was one of the things that couldn't quite be quantified because these people could, you know, no matter their age, no matter what they looked like, if you train and you train hard and you train well and you have a good teacher, you can learn to do things that that you would never ordinarily be able to do. Like your body becomes stronger, your mind becomes stronger. And I remember just always feeling that, that mystery around martial arts. And, and even like, like I, I stopped for a little while, I think, at the start of high school and then I think when I was maybe 16 or 17 I started to try out a whole bunch of different martial arts and I I tried uh, Pentjak Silat which is an, an Indonesian style which I loved. I moved through to I think Shirinji Kempo which is another Japanese style similar to Judo and Jiu Jitsu and then I ended up coming full circle back to the, the school I'd originally trained at which I it was a uh, northern Shaolin praying mantis kung fu so I trained in that for a few years I think just as I finished school and I started to teach at that school as well and then I met my current teacher whose name is Bruce Leader 
he like like we we became friends and and just started to you know talk about martial arts and and just hearing what he had to say about it just always intrigued me and at this point you know I thought I was pretty pretty top dog kind of stuff and like I, I was like yeah I could you know I could fight 20 guys with my eyes closed this would be great but anyway I went and I I trained with Bruce one morning I saw what he could do and it cleared my eyes um it opened my eyes up to what it was that I was actually thinking I could do and seeing this man move with like such fluidity and such grace and power without being extremely tense and hard absolutely blew my mind and it wasn't long after that that I stopped uh, training and teaching at this other school and I started training with Bruce full-time. So it would have been maybe five or six hours a day, seven days a week for the first two years that I trained with him. The difference in training with someone of that calibre was immense. I think I mentioned before that in school I was always, um, you know, really flighty, really distracted, but I was also quite, I guess, like a frustrated young person and not for any particular reason. I actually didn't know why I was so frustrated all the time. I think it's because... You know, I found things really hard at school. I found it hard to understand what it was that the teachers were trying to get me to learn. And yeah, that, that did. It really frustrated me. But learning from Bruce was probably the first thing that started to help me calm down my own mind mm-hmm. through moving my body in particular ways. And oh yeah, so the style I practice with Bruce, like, and I, that I still practice with him, uh, is called... Haiban Wing Chun, but he also teaches a variety of Shaolin techniques. He teaches two styles of Tai Chi, at least one or two styles of Bagua. This this guy has been training since he was eight years old, and he's I think nearly sixty now. But he still looks like he's maybe in his forties. You know, can drop into the full splits between two, two chairs and hold himself up and all that sort of thing. Like it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. And and like since I met him, I've, I've been. I've been in awe of this guy. Um, But yeah, like training with him definitely helped to calm down, I guess, like the the sharpness of of that frustration that I felt. And it was Bruce that actually first started to introduce me to meditation and would actually make me sit down and be still and breathe slowly. Yeah, just calm myself before we would train every, every day. And that was my first little taste of it. Like, I guess, like, as a as a man of, like, small stature as well, like, I think I'm, what, what would my height be? Like, 5'8 or 5'9. Um, I'm quite slim. Learning this technique from someone, you know, so skilled in it definitely um, helped me become more confident in my own ability, my own physical ability, as well as my own mental ability. Yeah, help, helping to strengthen my body and to streamline the way I thought um, and the way I looked at every situation were definitely a part of martial arts for me. And having such a good teacher that I could always turn to, like like in any situation, like if I was, you know, just feeling a bit crap one day, you know, I would just go have a chat. And he would always have something to say that would just completely shift my point of view and help me understand what it was that was going on. He always did it with such a a calmness and and intelligence, and he did it humbly. And like to me, this was everything that 
you know, you see the old martial arts masters in the movies do. Like, and I was just like, how can someone embody, you know, a whole, you can call it an art form, but it's, it's, it's something else. And, and to this day, it's still mysterious and magical to me. Sounds like a, like similar to Rose dad. Rose dad is, is that kind of person as well. He's kind of so centered and, and just, he, he, he kind of is karate and he's so humble and he's so solid. He's like Yoda, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Most of the times, though. <laughs> he has his moments. But... <laughs> <laughs> I find it so interesting people talk to other martial artists about their kind of style because there's so many similarities between all the different styles of martial arts. And it seems like we're all kind of looking for the same thing or going towards the same direction. You know, it's, it's always that dissolving the ego and, and calming the mind and, and moving the body and all that kind of stuff. It's super interesting to hear that that your kind of journey has been been that way as well. I've had a bit of a um, an ego check. Like an ego suppression in the last ego check in the last kind of um, <laughs> six. So I started uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, yeah, and being someone that had done martial arts since I was about nine years old, you know, karate for most of my life, I was like, oh yeah, this should be fine. I can just you know come into the stage, have a bit of a role with everyone, and I'll you know I'll be able to hold my own. But as absolutely was not the case. You got you know, crushed. These, <laughs> you have no idea. Like I just went in there and, you know, just everybody, kids, like just destroyed me. Yeah. And it was a really good wake up call for me because I was like, oh, I actually don't know everything. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I wouldn't be um, as confident in a certain situation than I thought I would be, if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I remember Ro and I used to roll sometimes at the dojo, um, but there's just the level of the skill involved in, in a really high high level jujitsu gym it's just amazing it's also like we've all everyone starts martial arts for a different reason like the motivation's different but we all end up in the same road or the same journey mm-hmm. um you know we some people join for self-defense some people want to feel strong or but then we all eventually you know get our egos checked and come back to being chill and being present and yeah um which is really awesome mm-hmm. also mitch you know there's an unofficial term for a new amateur jiu-jitsu person they call the white belts the ragdoll of the gym because <laughs> they get ragdolled around <laughs> so, yeah it's that's definitely that's very accurate i have to say <laughs> like i you know i've spent probably the last six months just getting just getting choked out every night <laughs> yeah um hoping that'll change sometime soon but we'll see <laughs> do our rapid fire questions hey we'll shoot these off to you alex and uh try and answer them as quickly as possible we'll um we'll shoot them through whatever comes into your mind first sure Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received okay well that for me would be so i used to stutter a lot and that was one of the things that frustrated me um i could never get a word out in a conversation without you know at least stuttering a few times and it would always really really embarrass me and it was actually, so it was Bruce, my teacher, um, my martial arts teacher, that, that basically just told me, like, when you start to stutter, it's because people are speaking over the top of you and all you want to do is get your words out. So if another person is speaking or even if they start to speak while you're speaking, let yourself become silent, listen to what they have to say. And if you still need to get out what it is, is it relevant to the conversation? Always ask yourself that. Is it relevant? And That's awesome. Yeah, that to me was like, it's helped me in every single thing that I do. And it's not to say that, you know, I still don't talk crap sometimes because it is a lot of fun, but it's helped me in so many situations that I can't even, you know, I, 
like I wouldn't be able to describe them to you. There's like whether it's you know trying to comfort someone. Is it am I am I trying to comfort this person or am I just trying to give them my point of view? All situations similar to that, but it's just those words have stuck with me for so long, and it was actually what helped me to stop stuttering at the same time. So I'm just forever grateful for that. I mean, I don't think I've heard you stutter once in this whole episode. So no, that's awesome. Um, all right, my question to you, Alex, is uh, when you're feeling low, what helps you get back up? You know, when life hits you, sort of thing. What helps you get back up? I make sure that I get enough rest. And that is something I think that is very, very underrated these days. Most of us, if not all of us, are exhausted. We're always doing things. So I take the day off, I meditate, I sleep, I go for a walk, I eat. That's it. Um, That always helps me no matter what. And if for some reason it doesn't, I go and I train legs. I do really (laughs) heavy squats and really heavy deadlifts. And that just pumps so much blood and good feelings through my body that I'm fine after that. (laughs) Oh, man. I I sleep so well after leg day. And for the next three days, I'm sleeping so good. It's the best. (laughs) Yeah. Leg days are too underrated. They're amazing. Exactly. So the next question, I've got a feeling I know the answer to already. Who is a man that you look up to that isn't your father? Yeah, I think you, you definitely know the answer to that. And it would be, actually, uh, there's, there's actually three men in my life that I really look up to. So one would be Bruce Leader, my martial arts teacher. I've looked up to him since I've met him. Like I said, his poise and his sense of calm in every situation is such a massive inspiration. And the other two guys are very close friends of mine. One, his name is Oscar Meerman, and he is probably one of the foremost strength coaches in Melbourne, if not Australia. He comes to every situation with a clear head and willing to listen to every other person's perspective, but not just listening to it, he takes it on. He looks at a situation from that person's perspective and will give you the best advice you could ever, ever have. Yeah, he's he's a wonder of a human being. He's awesome. And then the last one would be uh, Alex Klein, another close friend of mine who is uh, an Ayurvedic chef. And he would probably be the embodiment of love uh, in a human. He is just, he's always there for everybody. He is there to nourish you in not just... Not just a, a, not just with food, but also with his presence and with his willingness to listen to anything that you have to say. And it doesn't matter who it is. You can be his best friend or someone who he's passing by in the street. If you want to talk to him, he will stop and you have his full and undivided attention. It's beautiful. All right. Well, I'm going to fire off a question for all of us here. What's something that mm. caught your eye recently that you think our audience should check out. So it can be books, it can be movies, it can be podcasts, it can be anything. We'll start off with you, Mitch. Um, I'm going to go with, there's a, I'm going to probably going to steal your one, right? Because I know that you might be, might be thinking about this, but the, there's a podcast by Jay Shetty and he did an episode with Justin Baldoni, who is an actor. He's in uh, that show, Jane the Virgin, but he's such an awesome kind of proponent of conscious manhood and, and being aware of, of your surroundings and 
and kind of growing and, and just being a con- conscious human overall. And it's, a, it's such an awesome episode. And I, I, it's one of my favorite episodes of a podcast that I've ever listened to. You should all go, uh, go check it out for sure. Alex, what do you got? For me, I actually, so my same friend who first introduced me to Vedic meditation, she showed me a trailer for a movie called The Portal. And it's, it's, a, it's more of a documentary about this day and age, what um, our limited access to our own minds and consciousness is holding us back from and how through um, you know, techniques such as meditation and mindfulness, no matter what it is, we can evolve as a species without absolutely destroying everything around us. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, 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 bl- it blew my mind. So, uh, yeah, it's called The Portal. I would cool. definitely recommend even just checking that out on, on YouTube, the, the trailer before it comes out. Since you stole mine, Mitch, I've got another one, actually. It's the documentary that you starred in. It's about Young Fathers, which is on ABC. So that was really, really cool. I was excited to see you in it. But at the same time, it was, it was awesome to see um, how everyone approaches fatherhoods in their own way. And there's no perfect way to sort of be a new dad. Um, and that's what I got from it. And it made me feel super secure. Because there's this whole idea that you got to be perfect in order to raise kids, and and um, and it was nice to see five five couples and five men, especially being so open and honest and vulnerable on camera around this whole thing, you know. So that was really cool, and I think everyone will get something out of it, whether or not you're looking to have a child or you have a child. It doesn't matter. It's just great to just see that. We'll link all those stuff in the show notes. Uh, last question, Alex. Uh, what does manhood mean to you? I guess manhood means to me, manhood means coming to a stage in your life where you can let go of not childish ideas, but ideas which no longer serve you and serve the people around you. It means being of service to whether it's your spouse or your family or your friends or your community and doing it in such a way that will be of the most help and benefit to the overall growth of everyone around you. Yeah, nice. Love it. Well, Alex, we've had such an awesome time talking to you. I feel so peaceful. I don't know about you, Ro, but I feel like I'm kind of floating on a cloud after talking to Alex. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Just mind blown. Alex, how can people reach you to, to get in touch and, and learn a bit more about, about what you do in Vedic Meditation? They can either reach me through my... My website, which is just my name, alexpowlett.com, and my, on that is, is my email as well. Um, and anyone is more than, than welcome to email me at any time with any question. Also, they can check out my Instagram if they want as well and get in touch through that. It's no problem. Awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll link all that up in the show notes as well for people to, to follow up. Anything else to add at the end of this episode, bro? No, it's just been uh, awesome. Nice to meet you, Alex, and thanks for sharing the experience of your journey and, and also showing me something that I've never been exposed to. So definitely something for me to look into as well. So thank you. My pleasure. It's so good to meet you. Thanks, guys. See you in the next one. Thanks, Mitch. This episode of the Being Men podcast was produced hosted and edited by Rohit Bangalelu and Mitchell Barber. Our social media marketing manager is Lauren Gerrard. And if you haven't done so already, check out our website at being-men.com. Follow us on Instagram at being.men and like us on Facebook.